0: Hi there, are you someone who lives out of a country you were born in, or do you aspire to move abroad, or are you simply interested in listening to -to heart-to-heart stories from people of different cultural backgrounds? If you are, you are at the right place. Welcome to my podcast, Meet the World With, where every week I talk to a person from a different country who has had an experience in living, working, and studying abroad this podcast you'll be able to learn about different programs, job opportunities, tips and tricks as well here are real life experiences. Welcome to the Meet the World With and I'm your host Isidora. In this episode of Meet the World With you will have a chance to hear a personal story from Michael Moyers. He is someone who I've met during semester at sea and had a chance to connect over the mutual love of travel and languages. Michael has an incredible international experience and has worked, lived and studied abroad. In this podcast, we will talk about the crazy story of how he randomly found his ancestors while walking down the streets in Croatia. He will share his insights of working at active Backroads travel, as well as where does he get his passion for learning foreign languages. Michael will share his two cents about how to be a good traveler and what are some stereotypes of an American wild male abroad. Please help me welcome to the show, Michael Moyers.
1: Hello, everybody joining. My name is Michael Moyers. I was born and raised in Northern California, Sonoma County. I'm currently living in Austin, Texas. Uh, I work as a product designer for a tech startup out here. And that basically means I do, I design um, a software product uh, for them. So I design screens and the way users move through them uh, and trying to add value to the product to help users kind of accomplish their, their goals. Uh, working alongside the company executives, really interesting stuff. Uh, I could go on all day about um, software and web design. So that's what I do uh, right now. Um, I've worn many different hats. I worked in restaurants, uh, farms, um, carpentry, uh, done a lot of other graphic design type gigs. I also worked abroad uh, extensively, not extensively, but a decent amount. Um, but what ISA and I have in common is um that we have traveled a whole lot, so I've spent a lot of time traveling, did semester at sea uh with you, and then ended up working at a company called Backroads all throughout southern Europe and did that for a while and in between, just making a lot of trips mostly to and from Europe, where I have family who lives there um and yeah, so that's kind of a brief overview of Michael.
2: That's awesome, I see a lot of uh, our common friends are loving you so much and (laughs) that's so awesome. Hello Bennett. (laughs) (laughs) Hi Ben, Um, so since you said you spend a lot of time abroad and you do have a family um, living abroad and we didn't meet um, by traveling around the world, where and how did you even get an idea to to leave the comfort of your nest living in California and um, start your trip around the world?
1: Yeah, so this is actually a really funny story. So, well, my mom did semester at sea. So growing up, I would always hear these stories of these, you know, exotic countries and faraway places. And, and so that kind of got the gears turning. But uh, I had this friend in high school named Nico, and his mom is from Germany and his dad is from Italy. And the whole family speaks three languages, you know, English, German, and Italian. And I was at Nico's house um, a couple weeks before I was enrolling in college courses and we were hanging out at his house, and Nico was pissing his mom off or something. And then his mom turned to him and said, Nico, ti ha dato tre volte devi lavare i piatti." <laughs> and I was like, what What did she just say? I don't understand that. And Nico was no. like, oh, well, it, it means I need to go wash the dishes because she's been telling me to do that all day, and I can't. Lo posso fare, and so he went and did. Uh, and that moment, I was like, if you can yell at someone to wash the dishes and it sounds like that. I want to learn how to speak that language and so i had never been to italy never studied italian when i enrolled in college courses i was like i'm going to study italian that's what i want my degree to emphasize in so um that was a great decision and that ended up being the big catalyst to get me to study other cultures study another language you know i come from a monolingual family we we all just basically speak english and then i Besides obviously my family that lives in Croatia and other parts of the world, but my immediate kind of nuclear family um, only speaks English, so learning a new language was um, very difficult for me. Uh, just the way languages are structured you know we are kind of geographically isolated um, it's not like Europe where you have all these cultures kind of crammed into each other, and so you can just take a train for a few hours and you're immersed in a whole different culture and language and so Um, that was something where I really had to push myself. There was a lot of moments where I wanted to quit and back out. I was like, why am I studying this language in the first place? Do I really just want to yell at someone to wash the dishes? What's going on? Um, And then ended up getting into an intensive language program in the city called Perugia in the region Mm -hmm. of Umbria in central Italy. Beautiful wine region Um, and did a very intensive program there. So yeah, that was kind of my my journey, my journey into Italian. And then you know, five years after, I heard my buddy get yelled at for washing the dishes. I, I learned the language, so I'm not a hundred percent fluent, but they're I can speak it.
2: Out. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. So I got to that point, you know, and I can get by in Italy just fine right now. I'm not cento per cento perfetto in italiano adesso, però. And I believe you speak a little bit of Italian, too, you know?
2: I actually do. I have spent two years in high school there. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Dimenticato di questo. Allora.
2: Allora. So, I, um, you, you said something about which really is interesting for me, that you uh, were kind of only uh, exposed to a um, speaking one language while you were growing up, and then um, you are an American. And I think it's very interesting to have such a perspective to to go abroad and to um, try to immerse yourself in different cultures and going in the hardest possible way, which is learning the language and actually understanding. But were there some times where you felt a bias or um, just some situation in which wasn't the most desirable situation being an American, being a white American traveling abroad?
1: Yeah, the, the biggest kind of privilege I noticed from that was mostly being male. Um, especially in countries um, like Morocco was one, especially, you know, women can't go alone there safely, especially being a foreigner. And just as a man, you have this ability to kind of navigate through their culture with a lot more ease. You don't have to worry about people creeping on you, threatening you, touching you in inappropriate ways, you know, doing things that women face every day, all the time there and in many other countries. And so, um, that was something that was pretty apparent, um, traveling abroad as an American, um, especially cause I, we started traveling a lot when the Trump administration came in and, you know, he's a very divisive figure and people in other countries have very strong opinions on him. And obviously, you know, people have these ideas associated with what they see on TV and they associate that to the country you're from and therefore to some extent you, and, um so i you know and and americans kind of have this stigma of being these really loud obnoxious travelers they just want to go get wasted they don't care about abiding by the cultural norms there and it's very very true i mean you you see it everywhere americans do not travel uh very well um and don't get me wrong there's plenty that do but because i was so aware of that Um, I would just be really as humble as I could when I traveled and I would just try to be a fly on the wall and read the room, figure out, okay, what are the appropriate ways to behave in this culture and in different situations and until then, just, just keep your mouth shut, you know? Um, So kind of always having that sixth sense of like, I am an American moving through here. I do have the privilege of coming from this superpower country where a lot of people are, a lot better off than a lot of these countries we're going to. Our country provides foreign aid to a lot of these countries we're going to. And so just trying to keep all these things in the back of your mind. And most of the people I did meet, I would ask them about that. Or I'd be like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, American. America doesn't act friendly, you know, with international politics all the time. So sorry. And they would just be like, there's no need to be sorry. My government is corrupt and terrible, too. And, you know, you are not your government. So no need to apologize. But... I did feel a pressure to to say that and bring that up until i i had heard back enough like i'm from italy i'm not Berlusconi, you know <laughs> he doesn't represent me so exactly. you know
2: exactly no and i yeah. i think that it's so important that you're voicing that out that in the end like your government does not represent or nor reflect um your personal um behavior and it's really cool that you're talking about the sixth sense um actually since i currently live in korea they have this term it's called Munchi. And it technically means something that is mostly, um, you, you can mostly describe it as the sixth sense and it's something that they teach th- their children from mm. the moment that they are born, it's to read the room. And um, regardless of where you are, are you uh, being at a different state in the U.S. or you're traveling around the world or you're even entering a friend's house? You need to know how to read the room, and sometimes it's uh, it's nonverbal, but a lot of times it, it's very verbal. However, it is so important to voice out and be like, "Hey, like I'm I'm here to learn," as you said. Um, Tell me if I'm doing something wrong. Like I I want to mm-hmm. appreciate you. I'm I'm here on your territory, so I think it's so cool you've done that.
1: Yeah, and especially like in Japan, for example, um, if there is a pregnant woman or someone who is elderly on the train, you you get you get your healthy ass up and you give that yeah. person your seat, you know? And so um, I saw a case where someone wasn't aware of that because that's not quite solidified as a norm in, in the U.S. And so um, everyone was just kind of staring at this person like you, you know, like everyone else gave up your seat except them. And then that person was like, oh, okay, now I'm very aware of it. So the next time an elderly person she, she came on, they this. were like, okay, I'm the first one to stand up. You please go sit down. But, yeah, it's all about just – just reading the room, being very aware of your surroundings, um, and not just for safety, but but being able to enjoy the culture, um, how it's supposed to be enjoyed, and how people live through it every day, because that that's where you get like the richness of, of a different culture is, of course, and you're yeah. able to find these avenues.
2: Because as someone who spent five years in U.S., it's so hard to explain to people that. The stereotype is it's just the stereotype and that's why it has that label for a reason because there are people just like you who are fighting against those stereotypes on a daily basis. So so kudos to you. I am, I'm, I'm so happy I had a chance to meet you on, on this trip. Um so you said briefly and I, I'm really interested in this because I personally don't know enough, um, something about being part of the backroads active travel.
1: Yeah, so Backroads is a company that does um, different multi-adventures throughout the world. So if you want to go cycling in Italy, or if you want to go hiking in Ecuador, or if if you want to go to ride your bike through Vietnam, Backroads has different stations in all these countries, and they set up these kind of predetermined tours where, you know, if you have a bunch of money and you want to pay them, they'll, they'll set up the whole trip for you. They'll provide the bike. They've already worked out deals with the hotels and transportation and everything. And so they need a bunch of kind of young, active people to go there and do the logistics, um, help transport people, lead the trips, uh, fix up the bikes and do things on the back end and things of that nature. So uh, I got a job with them as a bike mechanic. They just needed people um, with American passports, who could speak Italian. That was kind of their main thing. And I was like, I don't know anything about a bike. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, There's my Italian degree coming off for once. So I was like, I don't know anything about a bike, but if you guys can train me on how to be a bike mechanic, send me over to Europe and I'll, and I'll do it. So they trained me in Salt Lake City, Utah and, um, kind of learned the, the quick and dirty way of, you know, fixing brake wires and replacing tires and doing like kind of the the basic that any bike mechanic should know and then sent me over there and man that was a wild year I mean my schedule went from Salt Lake City to France I would I drove from France to Rome worked right outside of Rome for a few days flew from Rome to Dubrovnik then worked in Dubrovnik for a couple of weeks then flew back to France where I then had to drive to Ljubljana in Slovenia worked there for two weeks then drove from there to um oh why am I blank in the capital of Croatia Zagreb took a bus from there to Zagreb, then flew Zagreb back to Dubrovnik, worked there for a while, and then, let's see, back to Italy, traveled around, back to Croatia, again same rather than back to Italy, then back home. And so uh, it was just a, a wild year. I mean, every two weeks, I would have to pack up all my things and go to another country to then drive back to that same country because they needed supplies there, like the the headquarters was in France and everything kind of shot out from France. And then when the season ended, it came back in. So kind of facilitating that. But that was an absolute crazy experience having to work and live in the small city called Mochichi in Croatia, just south of Dubrovnik, kind of between Dubrovnik and the Montenegro border. And so it was like a hokey little town. Um, you know, everybody knew each other. It was very homey feeling right by the shore. You know, we get off work. We go down to the seaside and we jump into the warm Adriatic, and it was, it just, it was just a very nice experience. And I have a lot of family in Croatia. My, my brother lived in Split for five years. Uh, he, lo- he now lives in a city called Linz in Austria. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my mom's maiden name is Uvedic, and so that's a Croatian last name. And so we like retraced our family history, and I met up with my brother. Yeah, sorry, I'm kind of ranting here, but no,
2: no, that's funny. <laughs> it's it's amazing. I I'm learning something new, and I, even today I was so shocked when you wrote "Hala," and I was like, oh shit, yeah. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> there is another common language for us.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, no, nah, no, nah. my creation is terrible. Do not test me on that. It is no, that's, no, that's a whole new beast. No, no, no. But my brother and I, we found out that there's a city called Klis right next to Split, which my we knew my family originated from there. And so we found out there was a Uvodic street. So my brother and I started walking down there and this is a very, you know, nobody walks down the street unless you live there. And so this guy stuck his head out the window and my brother's Croatian was pretty good. I mean, he speaks it very well now, but then it was good enough to get by. And uh, someone stuck their head out the window, and they were like, "Hey, come inside and have some wine and bread." And we're like, "Okay." So we went in. Turns out that's our that's our second cousin, and no. he pulls out yeah he pulls out pictures of like him with my great grandfather who I never met, and it was just such a wild experience, you know, oh, being God. connected with that and. And then it was a party from there, and they bring out the water pizza and and all that, and the chubashichi, and then it was a feast. So uh, that was just a a wild, probably one of the most wild abroad experiences I've had because it was such a personal thing for for me and my family and my history.
2: That that that's amazing. I, I mean, it's like you're writing a, a novel. Like you you went there randomly and you ended up yeah. finding your family, which I think again like th- this is the beauty of us living in this global village and staying connected and and meeting people in the randomest possible ways and, and connecting back. Um. So again, like um, I I know you told me that you got inspired by hearing your friend's mom yell at your friend. <laughs> But is there something else that drove you to to learn so many languages and to constantly be inspired to, to learn more languages every single day?
1: It's yeah, so this is this is kind of a complex answer, but basically I am very organized and I like everything. I like my room to be like this and I like this to be like this. And same with my schedule. And so naturally traveling doesn't traveling often doesn't work for me. Um, because you're like having to put yourself in all these uncomfortable situations. Then we got to yeah. figure out how to get a train to this place that we've never been before, and then figure out a bus route here. And you know, just thinking about it, the anxiety starts to build and up. The beauty of like, being oh. in
2: Eastern Europe and having all of those being late. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And when countries run in their own unique time zones, so to speak, and and having to deal with that and take all that into account, and and having you know the the nasty bus station food all the time Um, but it really what I kind of got addicted to was that feeling of just being completely in the unknown like being in a place not knowing anybody not knowing how to do anything not really knowing how to communicate very well and it that feeling of just being fully immersed in this thing that's so different than you um it just became this adrenaline rush for me after a while and um and then you know you just want to dig into it and language are languages are particularly of interest to me because I mean that's the key to the culture is like being able to speak to those people about their stories and their perspective on life in their own language which they speak best um so I really enjoy that and and ever since then when if I ever get called somewhere for like some job I had done, or to go visit a friend in a foreign country, it's it's really easy to pull the trigger on that. It's, it's not this thing that takes weeks of planning. Um, it's it's something that's fun for me, and there's tremendous growth in that. You know, you're just kind of thrown into these awkward situations, language barriers, cultural barriers, and when you come out the other side, having gone through like having successfully accomplished your trip with all these roadblocks in front of you. Um, you just you feel like a whole new person coming out the other end of that and it just makes you more humble too and makes you more in touch with yourself and re- realize that you know this kind of hit like everybody's really connected you know we we do all speak a universal language so um having kind of faith in humanity restored during all these little travels but um yeah and so, that's kind of what I got addicted to is that that whole experience. I'm still chasing the high. How's <laughs> are you? It, you know?
2: is, it is a lovely story because i I don't think we often give ourselves a chance to get out of a comfort zone and and do stuff that um, initially just make us comfortable. But in the end, as you said, they give us a tremendous growth and um mm-hmm. they become the part of us. so I, I think that that's so lovely. and um again, bravo.
1: <laughs> <laughs> fala, fala lipa. <laughs>
2: Um, so what is, and I know it's so hard, this question is definitely not, not the easiest question to answer, but, um, the best and the hardest moment of your life abroad?
1: Wow. I think, well, I remember the hardest pretty well, or the, you know, there's a couple of of tough moments, but, um, I was working for that backroads company and, you know, emotionally it got really tough for me to just constantly be moving, never be settled, always sharing rooms with people, never really having my own space. Your schedule is so out of your own hands. You know, you could get an email, Oh, your schedule has been updated. All right. I have to go fly back to France in two days and, you know, not speaking the language nearby and in Balkan culture is much more closed off and American culture is a little bit more open. And so having to to live with that and, um, that emotionally got to the point where I decided not to do another year with the company because I was like, this is just too intense. Like I love going and traveling to different countries. But at the end of the day, I, I like to have my own place to call mine. And I like to be able to just I don't know, re- recover and recharge and not be social. And, and all my coworkers, I mean, they're great. All my backwoods coworkers, I love them all. But a lot of them were just come from very social cultures where you're always interacting. And, and I just, I felt like I couldn't catch a break after a while. And so that was really hard for me. I'm a pretty sensitive guy too. So as soon as I, I start feeling myself kind of slipping down, it's, um, I, I tend to just kind of feel it out. So that was tough for me. Oh, man, there's no shortage of good moments. I mean, spending the night in the Sahara Desert under the stars and drinking a bunch of wine with friends, that moment in Croatia, like discovering, retracing my, my family roots and history, the whole experience of Japan, just what a beautiful country and culture that is. I mean, there was a moment there where I was trying to figure out the train system, and there was a shop owner who didn't speak English, and I don't speak Japanese, but... T- Besides, wa no nome wa Michael, which means my name is Michael. <laughs> That's it, though. And he stopped everything he was doing and came over and like tried to help me out. And for some reason, that little act of kindness just really impacted me a lot. Um, so that was up there. Um, I'm sure there's a ton I'm forgetting, but those are kind of the the standout ones.
2: That, that's awesome. And I, I'm glad you, you are so open to, to speak about your emotions and about the expectations that are constantly there around the life abroad. And um, I think as, as important as it is to make that step to, to go out, it's really important to know when it's time to pull the brake and um, give yourself mm-hmm. time and um, reconnect back, even if that means going back home or going back to your roots, but just giving yourself chance to feel and to be human and not to leave by these like crazy expectations that you're constantly on the move because you might get lost.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and the thing is, culture is everything. Culture is the way you order a coffee. It's the way you wave at somebody. It's the way you do or do not look at somebody in public. Um, and so when you're having to be constantly aware of these things, it gets really exhausting because it's not natural to you. And you know, you just you want to be back in your own home culture where you know all these things and and this is just what you're used to and you're born into and so um as beautiful as that is realizing the unique ways different people do things differently across the world and everything you can learn and the perspectives that gives you is great but having to constantly be aware of that and abide by that while it comes with a lot of growth you know it it also comes like yeah. And, you know, the height of its joy could be the depth of its sorrow to a certain extent, you know, like you are spending a lot of mental energy doing this. And if you're not checking in with yourself and taking care of that emotionally, it will catch up to you. And no, but keep in mind, this is all growth and, you know, kites fly highest against the wind. So it takes a little bit of that resistance to achieve, you know, becoming a better person, and a better global citizen.
2: Of course. And the balance in the end of the day is everything we need to reach and Sometimes it's so far, but hey, at least you're trying to. Um, yeah. Running out of time, I do my two least favorite questions. And um, what is your current jam? And what are you reading right now?
1: My current job and what I'm reading.
2: Jam, jam. What are you? Oh, listening?
1: jam, like current song. Okay, so yeah. guilty pleasure. My favorite band of all time. They're called the 1975. I yeah. love them. <laughs> I, their first album. I don't get me wrong. I love all their music, but their first album—it's self-titled. It's just called Nine Seventy Five. the came yep. out in twenty thirteen. Every song on that album, I've been playing nonstop for years on end. So, and the majority of their fan base are like sixteen-year-old British girls. I don't care. I love them. I love Matt Healy and the lead singer and his songwriting and all of that. So, hey, if you no think judging. I'm gonna be embarrassed, I yeah, I had
2: my period of them too. No, <laughs> yeah. whatsoever. I'm
1: still in it. So, uh, what was the other question?
2: Uh, What are you
1: reading right now? What am I reading right now? Um, Don't Make Me Think. It's basically a book on um, good software and product design and how basically to design a product in a way that is so easy for the user to navigate that they don't even have to think and that it's really easy for them. So it's a fun book, very visual. Um, So a lot of my literature, I'm diving into design, design theory, um, agile, different methodologies and carrying out design strategies. So I'm like, Settling down for a few years to focus on design before I launch back out abroad and go work for some design company in Italy or something.
2: Or maybe you might want to stop by South Korea before you go back to Italy and visit me.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I haven't been there before. I'd love to.
2: Awesome. It was such a pleasure talking to you, and I think you are. Thank you for uh, being so open and willing to speak about your experiences. I, I think, at least for me, it meant a lot to-, to hear your personal story, which I think is very inspiring and very real. And that's something that we are missing a lot. Grazie mille. Ci vediamo posto.
1: Okay, grazie mille. A dopo.
2: <laughs>
1: Thank you Bye. so much. Ciao.
2: Thank you.